They come in various shapes and sizes and types of life form. They might be friendly, coming in peace, or they might be hostile and dangerous. And they are the feature of many a science fiction blockbuster movie. What are they? Aliens. Whether it's the friendly sort, uh, like E.T., the extraterrestrial who just wanted to phone home, uh, or the threatening aliens in something like Independence Day when they come to blast the White House, uh, we're used to the idea of aliens. They are quite simply beings who don't belong, uh, who aren't from uh, this earth. Now we get personal for a moment. I wonder, do you believe in aliens? Do you think that there's little green men on another planet? Intelligent life somewhere else in the universe? Well, fairly often uh, these kind of surveys are conducted and reported in the newspapers. And in a recent one, almost two-thirds of people in the UK say that they believe in aliens of whatever sort they might believe in. Now, whether they're right or not, I, I don't know. I can't say for sure. But according to the Bible, there is such a thing as an alien. Lots of aliens, actually, and they are already here on this earth. You might be sitting beside one tonight. You might even be one tonight. You see, alien is the word that Peter uses to describe the Christians that he's writing this letter to. Do you see it there? In verse 11, page 1218, in case you've closed your Bible. Verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. Peter is saying that to be a Christian is to be an alien and a stranger in the world. We're people who don't quite fit in. We're, we're different to everybody else. That we're outsiders in that sense. We belong to another world, to another kingdom, and so we are aliens and strangers in this world. Now maybe, maybe that sounds a bit strange to you. You think, surely I'm not an alien. But this is the whole point of Peter's letter. It's the reason that he's writing to Christians in the first place. If you turn back a page to chapter 1, verse 1, we see who it is that he's writing to. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world, scattered through those various places. Peter is saying that to be a Christian is to be an elect stranger, to be someone who has been elected but is also an exile, to be an elect alien. Now up to this point in the letter, and I know we've had a little break for a little while, um, but up to this point in the letter, uh, 
Peter has been showing how we are elect or chosen. So look at at 2 verse 9, just above where our passage begins, as he he summarizes all that he said to this point. And he says, verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So up to now, Peter has been showing how God has chosen us and made us his people and has blessed us in so many ways. But from here on in the letter, he focuses on what that will mean for us to be aliens and strangers in the world. How will we live out our chosenness? How will we live in a different and distinct way to the people all around us? We get the summary statement in verses 11 and 12, which he then unpacks throughout the rest of the letter. But here's what he says in verses 11 and 12. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Because we are aliens and strangers in this world, we are to do two things, one negative and the other positive. The negative, abstain from sinful desires, and then the positive, live such good lives among the pagans. Sometimes in science fiction uh, films, uh, the aliens are coming to wage war on the earth. They're coming with their weapons and they're going to destroy the earth and it's a kind of Armageddon type thing. And we, Peter says, as aliens, we are in a war, but not against other people. Rather, our war is against our sinful desires because they are waging war on our, on our souls. The particular sinful desires that each of us face and fight will be different. Your temptations will be different to mine. But each of us is to fight against them, to abstain from them, to, to not take part in it, to not participate in them. And how do you fight it? How do you fight it whenever, whenever you have this desire to do something that you know is wrong? Peter says you remind yourself of who you are and whose you are from the first part. You're chosen by God. You tell yourself, I am God's chosen child. I have received mercy from him. I no longer live in the kingdom of the world live in the kingdom of light. That's the negative. Abstain from sinful desires. And the positive then is to live such good lives among the pagans. Do you see what Peter is saying there? He's saying that we're not to uh, withdraw from society. 
We're not to become a closed away community uh, where there's just us. We're to be engaged in society. We're to be out and about among our neighbours and colleagues, uh, living good lives that are seen by them, that are noticeably different from them, like salt and light, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, in the words that we opened our service with. And even if people might accuse us of doing wrong because they'll often misunderstand us, and even if they speak harshly about us, Peter says that one day they will glorify God because of us. Either as they are one to Jesus as God visits them in grace, or as they testify on the day of judgment when God visits them in judgment. But what will it look like to live in this way? Peter gives us some case studies, some worked out examples to show us how to live at these good lives among the pagans. And the first one is in relation to the state from verse 13. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So whether there is a king or queen or parliamentary democracy or a president or however the country is organised and ruled, Peter says that we're to submit for the Lord's sake. The government is there as God's agent to punish wrongdoing and to commend rightdoing. So there should be nothing to fear for the Christian. It is God's will for us to obey the state by doing what is right. And in this way we silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. But our ultimate loyalty is to God not to the state. And so sometimes, Peter says, there may be things that are legal that are not good. Things that the law allows that God doesn't allow. And so our loyalty is to God and what he says is good. Do you see there in verse 16? He says, live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. So there are things that that free people can do. But they may not be what God wants us to do. And so we don't say, well, no law against it. We can do do it if we want. Peter says, no, no, no. Live as servants of God. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. And what does God want for his people? We see it in verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honour the king. So how we relate to the state is a witness of our faith in God is a witness to other people. 
Then from verse 18, Peter turns from our relationship to the state to our relationship with our employer, our boss. Now in the particular culture that Peter is writing in, uh, the reference is to slaves and masters, but it translates into our working life. So what will it look like to live as an alien in your workplace? He says, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, it appears obvious as the passage goes on that uh, slaves could be beaten, uh, and so there were obviously different standards in terms of behaviour, no uh, fair employment uh, or um, European working, uh, working directives or anything like that. Uh, slaves were seen as property rather than people. Uh, but even now, maybe even in your workplace, there will be good managers and bosses and there will be uh, some, some who are harsh, some who aren't just as considerate. How will we react to them when they mistreat us or overlook us or seem just to have it in for us? Peter suggests the way of submission. He says at verse 19, For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Peter says if if you're punished for something that you've done wrong, then you deserve it. But if you're punished for something that you haven't done, then how do you respond? How do you react? Well, rather than running to the papers or the Nolan show or complaining on Facebook, Peter suggests that you bear it. That you endure it because you are conscious of God. Peter says that God sees, that God knows, that he commends this type of suffering when it is born for him because he is the one who judges justly. Perhaps you're thinking to yourself, and maybe the blood's starting to boil uh, as you hear these words, and you're thinking to yourself, surely not, I know my rights, and I'm not going to be trodden down by anybody. I'll not let anyone get the better of me. Quietly suffering? Surely not. You wouldn't catch me being weak like that. And in that attitude, we entirely miss the call of God and the path of Christ. When our world is all about me first and my rights, we're to stand out and be different because we belong to Jesus. 
Do you see how Peter sets out the alternative in verse 21? He says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Whatever, sorry, whatever sufferings we may go through, However unfair or unjust they seem to be, none are as unjust as the sufferings of Jesus for us. Had Jesus insisted on his rights, none of us would be able to stand before God. But the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. Suffering now and glory later. It's because Jesus both suffered for us and has given us an example that we hear God's call to follow in this way as we give up our rights. To bring out the example of Jesus, Peter uh, quotes directly from Isaiah 53, uh, there in verse 22. But he then also paraphrases it in the rest of the chapter. So when Jesus was insulted, how did he respond? How would you respond? Peter says he did not retaliate. When he suffered, He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the just judge, the one who will bring vindication in the end, the one who will right the wrongs we have suffered. That's the example that Peter says, that the Bible says that we're to follow. The path that we're called to tread. And we'll find the grace to follow precisely because Jesus suffered for us. This is now at the second time in his letter that Peter focuses in on the cross. We found it at the end of chapter 1 in verse 18 and 19. And now here at the end of chapter 2, Peter focuses on the cross and reminds us of all that Jesus has done for us. As he paraphrases Isaiah, he says that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. That Jesus died for your sin, for my sin. And what was the purpose? That verse continues there. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Doesn't that sound very similar to the summary of verses 11 and 12? abstaining from sin and living good lives among the pagans. 
At the cross, we, we don't just find the example of Jesus as if God's saying, you have to do this. We also find the grace to allow us to do it because Jesus died to take away our sins. He is first our sacrifice before he is our example. If we are his, then we are aliens. Don't think of little green men with three heads. Think of brothers and sisters, Christians, loved by God. Because that's, this is us. And as aliens... And strangers, we're to stand out as we abstain from sinful desires and live such good lives that others will notice and come to Christ. The power to do this comes from the cross as we also then seek to follow his example. Let's pray. Father, we confess that this is a hard word, that this is so completely against our our culture, our upbringing, everything that, that we hold dear. Father, we pray for your grace that we would live as your children, aliens and strangers in the world, but dearly loved by you. May we find in the cross both our freedom and our example. We ask this in Jesus' name.